Hello there, welcome along to Wolves Weekly. I'm Mikey Burrows. Gemma Frith is busy preparing for the weekend's action. So we are joined by the Athletics' Tim Spears, who has had a little bit of a break himself, as well as the international break, though he was there at the last game. I'm just giving a little bit of an insight into a bit of recording we did just a moment or so ago. Um, Tim, great to have you with us here on Wolves Weekly. Uh, there's a lot to talk about Wolves women and Wolves under 23s I know you've got articles on both recently but let's focus on the first team first of all they're in an interesting period at the moment aren't they with the fact that they might not have been quite as attacking in the last couple of games as they had been early on but they're starting to get results First of all, Mikey, hello. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And thanks for remembering that we had great conversations during the Newcastle game. Um, Yeah, yeah, I was um, surprised, really. Yeah, I missed the three games before Newcastle and surprised to see how slightly differently the team set up for that game. I think, the first of all, the wing-backs were sort of noticeably deeper and I think that massively had an impact on how the whole team played. And it was a bit of a... It was an unnecessarily nervy victory which sort of, you know, Connor Cody alluded to immediately after the game. He was like, we were defending when we didn't have to. Um, And I thought Newcastle were incredibly blunt and unlikely to uh, trouble Wolves too much. But Wolves sort of invited them on a a little bit more than they should have, certainly in those last 20 minutes. But yeah, it's it's really interesting to see the dynamics change as as the weeks have gone on. Um, We were all so impressed um, by the first three defeats, um, the, the you know fantastic performances and 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 outplaying Leicester Spurs and Man United for long spells of those games, but but not getting any results and not scoring any goals. So I think Bruno Large is still fine tuning in terms of style and personnel. Um, I haven't heard him say this, but I, I'd be surprised if he knows his best knows his best eleven at this moment in time. You know, he's still trying to work that out and still trying to work out style. You know, pre season, and I wrote extensively about it, and we spoke about it. Was was a, a massive shift to sort of high pressing and, and lots more running and intensity. And actually, if you look at the, at the at the stats so far this season, they're they're pretty low on running stats. I think they're seventeenth in the table for running stats, which is sort of similar to last season. And pressing, they're quite low down those stats as well. So I think, you know, the initial ideas that that, that Bruno came in with, um, he's sort of now trying to find a bit of a balance between the two, a balance between freedom and caution. Um, and uh, you know, recently that's yielded nine points from twelve. So I, I feel like they're getting there bit by bit. Do we read maybe a touch too much into all this in terms of, you know, the the early games were against opponents where we anticipated that we might not have full control of the game and therefore you could play in a slightly different way. Certainly the Brentford game, to me, felt we were up against a team who did to us what we've done to many teams over the last couple of seasons. Incredibly well organised, sat deep and then hit on the counter and therefore... It's not necessarily that Bruno has changed, it's simply the opponents we're coming up against has changed. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. And I think, um, you know, there was a bit of a shift after those first three games to winnable matches coming up, you know, Watford, Brentford, Southampton and Newcastle. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he, how he approaches the next two games, you know, Villa and Leeds away, two, two very different um 
um, teams ahead of them um, and changes I'm sure to the to, to the 11 you know if Francisco Trincao doesn't make it this weekend then that's one change that's coming in and we've seen Huang Hee Chan come in and make a massive impact we've seen Raul Jimenez's role slightly change in the last couple of games as well so um can't wait to see how they sort of approach it, but the num- the numbers are really good. The numbers are really promising, and you know, listeners will will place different a different weight or a different emphasis on things like XG. But they're they're fourth in the table for XG for scoring. You know, behind only Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool. The, the expected goals that they that they should in inverted commas have scored related to the chances they've created so far. They're fourth in the table. Um, Offensively and defensively, um, they've got the third best defensive record in terms of ch- the chances they've conceded. So, in terms of how they're playing, how they're how they're denying the opposition chances, in terms of the chances they're creating themselves, they're very very high at the table, but <laughs> very high. Um, but they've only scored what five goals so far, which is all, all that matters ultimately, and 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 the and the results that they get from that. So, but the signs are promising. That's that's what's um, that's what's getting me excited for for the weeks ahead. You mentioned maybe Bruno not quite knowing his strongest team yet. Clearly, he feels like he knows his strongest defence, which is probably the one area that slightly surprised a few people in that Willie Bolly hasn't been able to get back in there. Now, I've spoken a lot in the last couple of weeks about how impressive Max Kilman has oh, God, been yeah. and, and arguably has been the player of the season mm-hmm. so far, certainly most improved and making his performances there. But it is quite clear, actually, as well, that the midfield, barring Southampton, has generally been the same. It's the two either side of Raúl Jiménez that that have the real question marks over, and 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 that may continue all season. If you go on what Bruno said after the Newcastle game, you know he was sort of he's always asked about Traoré because Traoré, well I know from seeing you know the sort of um, how which articles are more popular on the Athletic. Everyone loves to read about Adama Traoré, so inevitably people ask Bruno about him pretty much every week, and he he said um, well obviously. Huang was, was, was selected in that game to make runs off the last man for Jimenez to find, which led to the two goals directly. That's something they worked on all week. I thought that was hugely impressive how, how that came off twice in the game. Um, and Trincao sort of selected, I guess, positionally really, to, to drift inside was, was, what, was what Bruno was suggesting. But basically what he said was, you know, in, in Huang, in Trincao, in Traore, in Pedence, they got he's got four very different players and he'll he'll choose them more on the opposition he, is what he suggested to you know week by week so so we so that we may see rotation quite often in those positions i was asked at the start of the international break by my bosses at the athletic to select we were all asked all the club writers to select one player who probably is deserving of more minutes at the moment and it was a really tough one to pick um Traore, uh, not played much the last two weeks but i think you know i think we'll see him come back into the team uh, Dendonka, you could say, is, is one that could maybe feel he should have had more minutes. Maybe Ryan Ait Nori might think he should have had more. But the one I picked was was Willy Bolly. Um, but it's it's so hard to say where he should come into the team right now. I don't think, as you say, Kilman's been outstanding, and I think Roman Saiz has um, he's certainly not done enough to sort of be dropped. You know, he's done enough to keep his place in the team. But on the other hand, I'd make the argument that Willy Bolly is probably Wolves' best defender on his day. Um, now, whether whether it's going to take him a little while to get back to the levels of, of a couple of years ago, you know, obviously he missed half of last season through through you know a variety of injuries. Um, but I think that he'll need to be integrated into the team somewhere somehow over time because he's, in my opinion, Wolves' best defender. So, like I said, 
earlier on. He's still trying to he's still trying to figure out his best eleven, his best style, his best formation. Maybe you know we may move to four at the back at some point. Um, but as long as they're getting results along the way, that that's the main thing at the moment. You know, the last few weeks they have been. The four at the back thing, it feels like a debate we've had over and over for the last at least 12 months, if not longer, because there is always a large part of fans who would like to see it. It comes with a lot of different question marks and caveats as to as to who makes up that back four. We saw them kind of do it a bit in pre-season, mm-hmm. but you watched a lot of the games, as did I that it, it maybe didn't work with the personnel, so it's understandable why he's just gone with what we know they can play and, and they know what they're doing. I think defensively more than anything that they looked more solid with five at the back, even even when they just switched to it for 20 minutes at the end of some pre-season games. You know, they, they instantly looked more comfortable and that's probably something that, that stems over from, from the Nuno era because it was, it, it was as you know, ingrained in them how, how to play that way. And when they went four at the back last season, it inevitably led to carnage. Um, it led to more uh, exciting football and more goals going forward. You know, remember the the three three at Brighton, uh, the three two defeat to Albion was was another one. Um, so, yeah, we know defensively they're much more comfortable with, with a three or a five, however you, however you want to term it, at the back. And um, it shouldn't be forgotten that not a huge amount of personnel have, have changed. You know, you look at Wolves' eleven from this season to last. Um, certainly in the last couple of weeks, there, there aren't there aren't many new faces in there. So, um, so four at the back will be something I think Bruno will certainly want to have as an option over time. You know, I remember uh, I think a few weeks into after after he'd been appointed, I was speaking to someone at the club and they said he's really keen to have two formations that that are, that, that are ingrained into the players. Uh, there's only one at the moment, but I think over time he'll want four at the back as as an option, definitely. But that that may have to follow recruitment, as you've suggested, once he gets the players in that the, that he wants. One element of it, though, and he's just been named the club's player of the month, is Jose Sarr, who I know you've done a piece on him recently. The fact that uh, it's an interesting one, this, because... I think many people recognise that Rui Patricio was an excellent goalkeeper. He was a very good shot stopper, but he didn't come very far away from his line. And that was probably the... I know ex-goalkeepers who've put that criticism towards him in the last couple of years. You don't have that problem with Jose Sarr. And distribution-wise, that may be the key step up. And if he is more of a sweeper-keeper, eventually down the line, that may allow them to play a back four. Yeah, definitely, you're right. Um, and you know, Patricio might have, might have been capable of that. Wolves did play a, a pretty deep line and, and, under Nuno, which maybe dictated the fact he didn't come off his line as much. He, he, may, he may have been under instruction not to come off his line as much. But Jose size is very active. The one that the one that springs to mind and the one that sort of inspired the piece that you mentioned was against Southampton when Nelson Semedo, the ball was coming forward into Wolves' half. Nelson Semedo tried to hook it sort of over his shoulder and it was charged down by a defender so it was charged down by a Southampton attacker who would have been through on goal but Jose Sarr I think recognised the potential danger even before it happened and was already off his line to clear the ball um, and again in terms of in terms of stats sorry if people don't find this interesting but I really do so I'm just going to say it but um, yeah there's, there's a stat that which opt to have called uh, keeper sweepings which is basically uh, a, a keeper that sweeps up, um, you know, clues <laughs> <laughs> in the name. Um, you know, whenever a keeper comes primarily out of his area to, to collect the ball and sweep it up, 
this is defined as a keeper sweeping. So Jose Sars completed eight of those this season already. In three seasons, Patricio did it ten times. So that just shows you the difference in style. His distribution is very noticeable. Again, I feel like he's sort of one step ahead. Even before he receives the ball, I feel like he's thinking about where it's going to go. He's looking for that quick option. He's looking for the throw. He'll mix it up. Um, long balls, chips out to the flanks, short passes, quick passes, a, a wide variety. And I think it's really changed the way that Wolves play. Um, I mean, he's registered an assist this season with his with his long ball through to, to Jimenez for the winner at Southampton as well. Um, so, yeah, um, in terms of shot stopping, I'm not sure there's much much difference between him and Patricio. But in terms of getting Wolves on the attack, there's, there's, there's a big difference. And, um, yeah, I really like it. Yeah, he's been a very good addition. He'll be... Probably needed at Villa this weekend. Where do we look at this game in terms of where both sides are? Because a couple of weeks ago, you probably would have had Villa absolute standout favourites. Now, Wolves with a bit more confidence having got a couple of results. And Villa just seemed to be kind of in a, an inconsistent element to them at the moment. Where do we base it on this weekend? Yeah, inconsistent is right. Um, I mean, they've got they've got good home form. I think they've started well at, at home this season. But I think they're also trying to find their feet. You know, obviously they've still got the same manager and a lot of the same players. But they're trying to find their feet post Jack Grealish, and Emmy Buendia was 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 brought in. You know, to fill the Grealish shaped hole, sort of in advance of him leaving. Um, but he's I think he's started for the past sort of three or four games now, Buendia. So um, so they're still trying to get used. To, and obviously they brought in Danny Ings, and there's the dynamics between him and Ollie Watkins. So they obviously got a great team, lots of very good players. But yeah, still trying to find their sort of post-Grealish feet, I guess. I think there's only one point between the, the two teams in the table. Um, and there won't be a lot in it. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I've got to say, you know, a, a 3 p.m. derby is, is one to relish. They're pretty rare. Um, in fact, Wolves' next two games, Villa and Leeds away. I mean, that, it just screams rowdy to me. Um, it's going to be a great atmosphere in the stands. I, I, I don't know. I can't wait for it after, after last season. I know, you know, we were so privileged to be at games last season but it didn't necessarily meant that we enjoyed them you know a lot of the times they were pretty soulless experiences you know sat on your own in the cold not able to speak to anyone and the football was generally pretty dull so so to be, have, have these games back um is fantastic i am um, i really can't wait it's gonna be a really good occasion and inevitably you know a one-all draw because that's what happens with these games but uh, but i'm looking forward to it mikey yeah a, de- a derby game back with a crowd has a, a different emphasis on it and I think it really will be interesting to see how players of both sides kind of cope in that cauldron of noise because it will be only natural, even for the most experienced of them, to have kind of forgotten it, to have forgotten what it felt like. It, to me, that's what it felt a bit like in that first half an hour at Leicester where it was so noisy, it was so mm-hmm. unusual, mm-hmm. and it felt like Wolves took a little while to kind of get used to it again. It's going to be such an occasion at Villa Park. Well, it changed it changed the way the game was was played. Not not just in terms of intensity, but you know, in terms of um, defending for a start. I remember speaking to a defender shortly after lockdown matches started, and he said, um, "You miss the crowd, sort of telling you there's there's a player behind you, or you just know from the noise if there's a th- if there's a through ball on its way, you, you just you just know that somebody's there from what from." from what you hear from the crowd. So, um, and, you know, we know from being there last season, Connor Cody and, and his and his organisation and, and his voice um, was the loudest thing in the stadium. Whereas um, 
uh, even even for pre-season at Molyneux, what was it, was it against Celta Vigo? Um, they were struggling to hear Conor Cody, you know, the, the, the defenders, because even and that Molyneux was only half full at that time. So lots of different dynamics that it's changed. Um, and in terms of atmosphere, it'll, it'll be great. And I must I must say, I know I know, uh, you know. I, we're both biased, but the Wolves fans have been unbelievable this season. Like, I remember the Leicester game. Yes, you're right about the start of that game, the atmosphere, but then it really quietened down, even though Leicester were winning. And it wasn't long before Wolves fans were piping up saying 18 months and you still you still don't sing, uh, which I think they've repeated a few uh, a few games this season. They've outsung everybody, every, every opposition um, fan base of the games that I've been to including Spurs including Man United even though they were winning those games they've really embraced being back they've really embraced the football they're watching and Bruno Lage and um, every single game I've been to they've, they've been singing their hearts out for 90 minutes it's been it's been great it's going to be absolutely fascinating you talk about crowd attendances as well it's been nice to see fans going to watch the under 23s though they're not on anywhere near the kind of scale that maybe they would want and certainly not near the first team but the women's team have been getting some incredible attendances again I know you've done a piece on them recently let's talk about them because I I think those of us who watched them a little bit last season who've seen some of the stuff and certainly talked to Dan McNamara kind of knew that they had a chance this year they beat the likes of Watford who got promoted from that to that level in the FA Cup the season before and they comfortably beat Nottingham Forest and should have had more goals in that game who were in that division above but actually the way they've taken to it has been remarkable hasn't it yeah um also also not not surprising I mean you know I'm Bit, bit, bit more of an outsider, but I just expected them to to, to continue to win football matches, and and and, th- and they have done. Um, they've got an incredible winning habit. I think they've lost one league game in the last three seasons now. Um, even though a couple of those seasons have been curtailed, you know, it's um, it's an unbelievable record. Um, they don't really know how to lose. Um, so yeah, international break is um, is a perfect time to sort of shine a light on. Um, on, on, on a couple of things which don't normally get as much attention. So um, I've been meaning to do an article on Wolverine for a little while and I th- saw it's a perfect opportunity to do that because I know how many changes have taken place in the past year. Um, but even I didn't realise the extent to which, you know, once I started speaking to a couple of people in the, in the past week, the amount that's changed behind the scenes is, inc- is incredible, to be honest. Um, you know, you mentioned attendances there. Yeah, 650 attended the, the Black Country Derby in late August. Um, they had 300 girls turn up for a trial in, in the summer. Um, you know, for people who don't know or haven't read the article, you know, everything's changed basically. Uh, Wolves women and the reserve team and a couple of the girls teams have now come under the umbrella of the academy at Compton Park. So they're sharing facilities, they're sharing expertise. You know, they're um, they're making use of the medical department and, and the club doctor, and a lot of the departments are now being integrated. So, you know, the, the coaches of Wolves women and the men's team will have meetings together. Um, the media team, you know, oversee the, um, the, the Twitter coverage. Um, there's lots of things that are changing. There's a Wolves women podcast now. There are, there are women's replica shirts. You know, all this has really happened in the past few months. Mm. And 
what I didn't know I was really interested to hear is how Scott Sellers has sort of initiated a lot of this integration, certainly in terms of the coaching side. Um, and it all sort of kicked off from the FA Cup games that you mentioned. And I think the media coverage of those games, and I hate to say it, and I've had to be nice to you and mention your name <laughs> in, this, in, in this article, but, but, but what you did and what Gemma did and what Claire Hakeman did and Alex Gage and everyone else who was there and formed this really, really professional and impressive broadcast of those FA Cup games perfect timing I know it was was awful that there were no fans there but in a way it was perfect timing because everyone was at home doing nothing during lockdown and all of a sudden there was this there was this um big women's FA Cup game that was that was that was able people were able to watch online and that sparked a lot of interest and a lot of engagement and I think that directly led to 650 people turning up to watch them against West Brom which is just an incredible number they're averaging about 300 I think for for normal league games which is the best in their in their division um so it's 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 really important to state you know where they're at right now how they're growing um you know they're nowhere near the sort of the professional level and what we've seen in, in in WSL this season. I'm sure a lot of people have been watching the games there. You know, I went to watch um, the women at Stoke last week, and um, someone missed the first half because she was at a school open evening. You know, because that's a full time job, and and someone else was on holiday, so she wasn't in the team. You know, the, yeah. it's um, the, 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 there'll be some potential growing pains as the club kind of moves to the professional level. But for now they're putting some really good structure and infrastructure in place to kind of um, launch this club in the long term. There's lots of really good work being done there. Well, I've mentioned before on Wolves Weekly the fact that Wolves massively benefited from Coventry United ladies going professional in the summer who are in the yes. level above and quite a few players for whatever reason couldn't go professional mm-hmm. and uh, have almost come en masse to Wolves who've got a really good link up between Dan McNamara and Jay Bradford who's the manager at Coventry and actually Coventry are really struggling in the championship without some of those players even though they now have professional full-time players and yet Wolves have really seen the benefit and maybe that's given them the extra bit of quality that's seen them over the line in some really tight games so it's going really really well for Wolves women I mentioned crowds getting to watch the under 23s as well down at Kidderminster I know you've done a piece recently on Harry Burtwistle who's been one of the standout players, really, at the start of the season, who's still actually really young. I mean, I was um, at the Villa game the other Friday night doing the Wolves TV coverage, and there was only one player in both squads who was over the age of 20, and that was Raphael Nair, the Wolves defender who they got from Paris Saint-Germain a couple of seasons ago. It was remarkable how young they all were, but Bert Whistle's got a couple of goals, and he's got a, an incredible story, really. Yeah, I um, I, to be honest, um, I, his, his name hadn't come on my radar last season when he was when he was with the 18s, um, and I went to a couple of 23s games at the start of the season, and he and he stood out straight away um, in a more attacking advanced role. You know, he scored a couple of goals, but yeah, he's he's a right wing back really. That's his preferred position, as you say. He's got a very very interesting story. So um, I didn't know anything about his background, and I, I've spoke to someone at the club. Um, just to try and get a few details on 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 Harry Burtwistle, and was amazed to discover that he's from Singapore uh, first and foremost. Um, so yeah, um, born born over there and lived there until you know four years ago when he made the 
brave, very brave decision, you know, as a child to basically move over here on his own. You know, his, his dad came over to, to support his move here um, before he before he then um, boarded at the Royal School in Wolverhampton um, in a bid to sort of earn a contract with Wolves. You know, he'd, ha- he'd been on trial with Wolves before, but the, the, but when he moved over here as, yeah, as a 13-year-old, there were no guarantees that he would be sort of taken on um, into the academy. Um, but he did enough to, to sort of earn that and get his place in the academy. Um, and he's gone from strength to strength in, in, in the past few years, particularly in the last 12 months. Um, for people who haven't seen him, very quick, very athletic, right wing back. Loves being on e- either flank, basically. He's just a wide player. Loves being on that touchline. Um, but he's really developed his all-round game in the past year in terms of his, they've really been working on his crossing and trying to work on his defensive side as well. So it just... Um, Really struck me, you know, the sacrifices that that this that this kid, because he's still a kid, doesn't turn eighteen until December, has had to make. And another really interesting and sort of sensitive aspect to this story is that um, in Singapore, it's mandatory to do uh, national service. Um, and when he turns eighteen in in December, you know, if he doesn't start that national service, I, 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 forgive me if I'm you know, not perfect on the details here, but if he doesn't, I think if he doesn't start that national service when he's eighteen, um, it's it's an offence basically, which means that he can't go home. So he can't. He hasn't seen his mom in two years, and and he can't just, especially with COVID as well. But he can't just pop back next year to go and see her because of this national service requirement, which is which has affected young. Singaporean footballers in the past so um, and his dad his dad lives in Portugal you know he's over here pretty regularly but his dad lives in Portugal so Harry's with a host family in, in Whittick I think he lives with Cam Candola as well who's also made a, a really good start for the 23s this season um, but um, having having met him I met him after the Shrewsbury game in the, in the Papa John's Trophy what struck me was was his belief and his confidence and chasing his dream and he 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 brought up Messi and Ronaldo, not me, but he was like Messi, <laughs> Messi, Ronaldo, and Neymar all moved abroad at a young age. You know, Messi's story in particular will be well known. Moving when he was thirteen, fourteen, from Argentina to Barcelona, so he's he's setting his standards extremely high. Um, but he's aware of the sacrifices he's had to make, and he's very, very, very focused on realizing his dream. You know, j- just just to say, finally, sorry for going on here, but I'm always reluctant to kind of big up young players because you know. Zeli Ishmael, 100 million pound, 100 million pound footballer, is, is always the example that sticks with me as a kid because I, I brought into that hype and was waiting for him to be the best player the world has ever seen. Um, so you've got to be really careful. But I, th- I thought it was—I thought it's was just a great story, you know, to share. We, we, we all wish Harry the best on his journey. Um, he certainly set his heights very high. So we'll see where he gets on. He reminds me a little bit of a right-footed Ryan Giles, which mm, I yeah, think is a, a, a fair comparison. Um, I was once told by Steve Davis, the under-18s coach, when he was uh, a year or so ago, that he reckoned he was as quick as Adama Traore. Um, but when I said that in commentary at Villa on Friday night, I was surrounded by quite a few academy staff who all burst out into fits of laughter. <laughs> so I, I think he is quick, but I'm now taking it from that reaction that Steve might have been <laughs> pulling my leg a bit and he's not quite as quick as Adama Traore. Um, but the under-23s have been going pretty well. It was important for them to bounce back uh, in that Villa game against a, a Villa side who I think had put nine past Stoke in the previous match yep. and kept them to a nil-nil. Um, 
a tough test for them at Shrewsbury, especially because they were without some of the more experienced players who had gone on international duty and for other reasons as well. So they're going along quite nicely, James Collins' side. They've gone again with uh, uh, an element of going even younger because obviously a lot of players have gone out on loan. You know, the likes of Taylor Perry and Austin Samuels and Nigel Lonvik and Christian Marquez, who were all key parts of that team last season that got to the Premier League 2 Division 2 playoffs, are now out experiencing first-team football. And it's giving opportunities to one or two others to come through. I think people might start to take notice of Dexter Lambakisa a little bit more who looks mm-hmm. like a, a, a pretty good talent and actually is a an interesting story as well because I think he was released by Fulham as a, a youngster and has come to Wolves and really kind of grafted and now looks a pretty decent prospect although you know very early days in his development um, and Harvey Griffiths I think I've mentioned before is one to to keep an eye on as a midfielder who came in from Manchester City this summer uh, with uh, a lot of talk from people who I really respect in academy football saying, you know, they're a touch surprised that City were willing to let him go on a permanent deal. So there's some really interesting players. So if you do get a chance to go down and watch the under-23s, I think it's well worth doing. Well, they, they are a very young team, as you say. I, I counted up the average ages during the Shrewsbury game. Uh, Wolves' average age was 18 and Shrewsbury's was was twenty one. Um, you know they had a few sort of players in their mid twenties. I think half their team was 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 sort of from the first team squad. Shrewsbury, um, but Wolves could and should have got a result that day, um, and they were really annoyed with themselves for throwing it away at the end. But the reason they didn't get a result, Mikey, was was Harry Burgoyne, pesky Harry Burgoyne, who pulled off a <laughs> wonder save, an absolute wonder save. Uh, I think the scores at one all at the time. Um, but yeah, they've put on a really good account of themselves, actually. And um, there's there's a lot of talent there. There are a lot of new faces that people will, will uh, won't perhaps recognise yet. But as you say, um, would be great to, for people to get down there and show them their support because there are a lot of talented young kids there. You mentioned Harry Burgoyne just finally because I was going to quickly bring this up to you. Obviously, you, me, and our good friend Tom Parry. Uh, during that first lockdown, which seems like an age ago now, went through with a touch of nostalgia watching kind of previous seasons. And it's kind of crazy that Harry Burgoyne and his moment at Anfield feels like an absolute lifetime ago. Football's moving on too quickly, my friend. When was that? 2017? Yeah, start of 2017. Harry Burtwistle was still living in Singapore. That's... <laughs> Yeah, that does feel like uh, that's an awful long time ago. You're making me feel old now. Yeah, imagine what it's like for me when I'm chatting to the under-23s who are actually 17 and <laughs> uh, and the realisation that I'm literally old enough to be some of their dads. Was a... You know, you mentioned you mentioned the, the, the things we did with Tom Parry, the, where we were <laughs> larking around, speaking over the top of old season reviews. Um, they're all, I was on mulling around on the Wolves website the other day. There's a box set section. They're all in there. They're all in there. Go, go. If you, if you, you've got to be incredibly bored to want to, but, but go, go, go and have a watch. They're a good laugh. Oh, dear. Well, I, I mean, in a way, I'd love to bring it back at some point. I hope the circumstances that necessitated <laughs> us doing it aren't back, but hopefully one day we will get to do it again. Tim, really appreciate you joining us this week on Wolves Weekly. Cheers, Mikey. Good to see you.